This is The Topic is Trek, episode 130, for Friday, January 20th, 2023. Coming up in this episode, a KG response from Nicholas, Conan scoops us, some real page turners, all that and more, right now on The Topic is Trek. Bookum, Spocko. Now that's what I call a Star Trek novel. Welcome to The Topic is Trek, the podcast that runs on impulse power. Join us for a journey where no show has gone before. If it has to do with Star Trek, there's a good chance we'll talk about it sooner or later, because on this show, the topic is Trek. Engage already! Well, hello everyone out there, and welcome to another thrill-packed episode of The Topic is Trek. I'm Clinton, one of your co-hosts on the show, and of course, as always, in order to be a co-host, there must be other hosts. So first, beaming in from parts unknown with the hip new catchphrase that you will be saying tomorrow is Mr. Craig Step. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know, we were much closer last episode, so I think you need to <laughs> rework that. Right, uh, right. I think we better Workshop bring in our- it up. Yeah, let's bring in the other co-host, Mr. Chuck Tomasi. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It's going <laughs> great. It's going great, except for that whole catchphrase thing that's uh, not quite happening. Uh, I never jumped on that bandwagon. Yeah, no. I'm but a bandwagon, bandwagon that people can jump on to is our interview with Dr. Mohammed Noor, which we released yeah. earlier this week. Just go over to... Hopefully Chuck is on the button here. I got it. I got just, it. Go over to, just go over to the topic is trek.com and you can find that interview. We had a, an hour or so talking uh, with the good doctor about all things biology and evolution and Star Trek yeah. and just kind of general geeking out. It was great. I, I had a good time. I, mean, I think we yeah. all did. A lot of shares, yeah. a lot of likes, a lot of good comments. Thank you very much for everybody who did that. And thank you for welcome to any new listeners who have just discovered us. Yeah, and like Valencia. As well. Hey, Valencia. Hey, and viewers. Yes, we had um, Craig's catchphrases on this show. Uh, it, it brings to mind this vision of like a bumper sticker on the back of the Enterprise that says Nixon seventy two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Are you saying it's a little outdated? Is that what you're saying there? Hmm. And just doesn't belong. All right. <laughs> all right, fine. I get the point. All right, all right. I got it. He'll have something really good for us next time, so don't you worry. Yeah, don't you worry. He's already Sorry. working on it, I can tell. Yeah. I'm already but searching about, Googles now. Yeah, speaking about worrying, though, it's time for us to ask a certain person if it's okay to proceed with our next segment. Because no, we have to ask. I jumped the gun. <laughs> oh, may, well, maybe this is a good thing because maybe he'll he'll think about what he's going to respond. Um, so, Charlie, is it okay if we go ahead with subspace chatter? You don't need all that subspace chatter. 
And that's an L, so we're therefore going anyway. The part of this show where we defy Charlie and hope we don't get sent off to the cornfield. Yes. All right, so Chuck, why don't you start us off? I will start us off. When Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal hit it off while making The Unbelievable Weight of Massive Talent, Pascal, star of of The Mandalorian, began trying to recruit Cage to make an appearance on the Disney Plus series. But it may not come to pass. In an interview, when he asked about taking a role in the Star Wars universe, Cage admitted, I'm a Trekkie. That's where I roll. I'm not in the Star Wars family. I'm in the Star Trek family. Woo, that's harsh. Cage said he grew up watching Shatner and thought Chris Pine was terrific in the movies. Cage likes the way Trek can mix social issues and science fiction. We'll have more on this at the end of the show. That's called foreshadowing of something we'll be doing a little bit, a little bit later on. I only have one hey. shadow. How do you have four yeah. shadows? Well, I didn't get the lights. I got to ask you too. So I know, I know this is a hotly top debated topic, but is Star Wars versus Star Trek really valid? It's like, is it? Well, I, I, I think that in this case, I think it's more of a desire. Like if you were given the choice, I mean, we're not in that position, of course, but if you were given the choice and somebody said, Hey, you can actually be in one of these things, mm-hmm. you know, as your next project, right. which one would you rather be doing? So it sounds like uh, Nicholas Cage comes down on, he'd rather be in something to do with Star Trek. So I don't think it's a, a case necessarily of, he doesn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a, an article that I was going to um, put, I think it might be in the, um, the list of other stories, but it was another one of those, oh, Star Wars versus Star Trek, which one is the superior franchise? And I go, oh, please, not again, not again. Yeah. And I think, I feel like those articles are usually just to get clicks, that no one in real life cares anymore about that. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, even that art, this article goes through and says, well, you know, if you like things that are more um, based more in actual science and and they have debate current issues and things like that, then you might lean more towards Star Trek. If you like more of the action oriented things, then, you know, you, you might lean more towards Star Wars, but it really doesn't matter because you can like them both. And, you know, that's really right. the point. It doesn't well, is, matter. Yeah. And that is kind of my point. It's like, I start, I like Star Wars for reasons and I like, uh, I, I love Star Trek for reasons. So Star Wars, Star, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The only thing is they're, <laughs> It's not. It's hard to even compare them because the only commonality they have is they're in space. And they have the word "star" in them. You yeah. know, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, so much it. And four letters on the second half. A lot of commonality. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. They're really, I mean, they're really I, all, exactly yeah. the same franchise, aren't they? No. <laughs> yeah. That's right. No, they're not exactly. But I, I like them for different reasons. So, yeah, I just, I, I just think it's kind of funny how. That's the default thing. Ah, Star Wars and Star Marvel versus DC. I'm like, who cares? Yeah, it it really, it really doesn't. And I think, I think we have actually evolved beyond those discussions. And like I said, usually it's some reporter poking, trying to get a, trying to get a, um, you know, a clickbaity headline for it. Now I clicked on it because I click on all the articles to see what they are. But (laughs) that's right. uh, Hopefully, I didn't count for a whole lot of response on that one. 
And this next story uh, comes to us actually uh, via listener Diane. Uh, because speaking of Disney, as we just were, if mm-hmm. you follow YouTuber Adam the Woo, yep, who's also a, a friend, a good friend of our friend uh, Joe, Crazy That's Joe, right. you may have noticed he recently took a trip north of Walt Disney World to visit Neutral Zone Studios in Georgia. That's the home of the TOS era Enterprise sets built for the web series Starship Farragut and Star mm-hmm. Trek Continues. We've often talked about this set and the other recreation set in Ticonderoga, New York, but now you can watch Adam and a totally Trek friend of his tour this amazing location. And they're led around by uh, Vic and by um, um, doing um, what's Jimmy's son's name? Um, oh, Chris. Chris, Chris doing. So they, yes. they're leading the tour. Uh, we have a link to the video over in the show notes for episode 130. Book them, Spocko, over <laughs> at thetopicistrek.com. And yeah. Craig, you've you've been to this uh, you've been to the studio, right? To this one? I did. Uh, and actually right uh, at the beginning of 2020 was the last time I was there. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved it. I met uh, uh, Vic Mignana over there as he was doing he was doing the tour actually a little bit of the tour. Uh, but we were able to run around when there weren't many people, when it was, were not many people had showed up already and we were running around taking pictures. Some of them were stupid. Some of them were fun. <laughs> well, they were all fun. Uh, but yeah, we had a great time there. I love the set. I, yeah. It looked I, like I, it was a very busy weekend when, um, Adam was there cause they, they were, yeah. they were going for the, the second tour of the day and you could see all the cars, parked there that they've been there oh, for yeah. the first one and their group was a rather large group that was going through yeah our buddy gary lindros was there myself my uh gary and and my friend fred we were all three there yeah had a good time was fred dressed up or was he taking the pictures he was taking the pictures okay he he broke character we're on we're on the bridge i'm in a uniform gary's in a uniform well i think gary's always in a uniform yeah and <laughs> and then there's Fred in like an Atari t-shirt. I'm like, come on, man. He's he's wearing, he, he's incognito from the uh, early 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. He's that one guy from that one episode in the background. Oh, that, he's, he's guy. He right? is guy. He is guy. <laughs> hey, by the way, I will say this. This is a great set to go to if you can get to it, or if it's close to go, go to Ticonderoga, go there. Cause you have to really see this in person. Is that it is so cool to see these things, you know, right there in front of you, uh, the whole set. It's right. And you, you get a, you know, um, you get a sense of scale, obviously about, well, how yeah. big actually were these things? And you're mm-hmm. what both of these sets do is they're going off of actual dimensions. Now in Ticonderoga, I believe they had some actual plans they had gotten from someone in the one in uh, Georgia, they were able to work out pretty much exactly the same measurements. And in uh, one of the clips uh, that's in Adam's video, um, Vic is talking about the fact that, well, we know that a panel on the wall was four by eight. Yep. And once you know that's four by eight and you see how many there are, you know how long that yep. section of the hall is and that can, you know, how big the opening. So you just kind of work out from there. That's right. The size of everything. Yeah, yeah, unlike the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas, which was they they distorted the bridge so they could get the tours through there. Yeah, there's about three times the size of that bridge. Yeah, a yeah. lot of room between you know the captain's chair and ops, for example. Yeah, 
So go check out Adam's uh, video. I watch Adam's videos from time to time. Not uh, they're not all Star Trek related, but uh, this one is. And but yeah, he has some good stuff on there. So go check it out. All right, and Craig, you've got the next story. All right, and 2023 is shaping up to be another big year for Star Trek in print. We have stories from Prodigy, Strange New Worlds, and Discovery, as well as Benjamin Sisko's autobiography. What? what, what? Yeah. Yes. Notes coming out from the wormhole, you know, just like. Yeah. <laughs> just a book He's spoken through the prophets. <laughs> That's right. The prophets wrote it for him. Plus an art book about uh, Trek visual effects artist uh, Neville Page. Uh, one about the art of Star Trek Picard. And a third about details of the making of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. There's also a wonderful new illustrated book entitled To Boldly Go, How Nichelle Nichols and Star Trek Helped Advance Civil Rights. Who said print is dead? I say I'm not. So there you go. Indeed. Let's, let's, and that's not even the entire year's worth of stuff. And that's that's just talking about books. It's not talking about the comics. Um, yeah. That, so lots oh, of yeah. Trek all over the place. You, know, you can't... Swing a starship without hitting a, a Trek piece of print. Data's cat. You can't swing yeah. Data's cat. With, <laughs> you, you, careful. You can't swing spot without, yeah. Don't yeah. get the ASPCA after us on this show. Well, it's, it's a digital thing. It's a, Well, yeah, between IDW digital... and everything else. Yeah, there's a ton of a digital cat. Print. Digital cat. Absolutely. Can't Moving fire. right along. <laughs> let's, let's do that before we get in trouble. <laughs> Last Saturday, January 14th, the event... Trek Talks 2 held a live stream event to benefit the Hollywood Food Coalition. The event included numerous panels on various Trek topics and included appearances by Rod Roddenberry, Robert Picardo, Will Wheaton, Bonnie Gordon, John Billingsley, Anthony Montgomery, John Delancey, Brandon Braga, Mike and Denise Akuda, Terry Farrell, Brent Spiner, Nana Visitor, Michael McMahon, the band, the Roddenberries, Anson Mount, Scott Bakula, the Hagman Brothers, Jonathan Frakes, Armin Shimmerman, and friends of the show, Larry Nemechek, Dr. Aaron McDonald, Dr. Muhammad Noor, and many more. Woo! That is a, and they were like, the panels were like 20 minutes long, so that they one after another rolling. after another. We will have a link to the day-long stream over in the show notes on episode 130, Bookum Spocko, <laughs> over at thetopicistrack.com. Just remember, if you watch, consider donating to the coalition. Absolutely, absolutely. Good cause out there. And during a panel at the Winter Television Critics Association convention, I know you all wanted to go to that, but if you didn't get a chance, that's Okay. Paramount Plus released the poster for the third and final season of Star Trek Picard. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of you who are actually watching, I am experimenting with showing some things uh, on the screen here. So I'm going to bring up the poster there you go. for uh, Star Trek Picard. And it features the main cast. Plus, we have so you in this one, you'll see uh, Jean-Luc. And Brent Spiner playing a version of Lore, uh, along with Jerry Ryan as Seven, uh, and Michelle Hurd as Rafi, and the other members of, you know, we have Worf, and we have Troy, we have Crusher in there. The poster also features the USS Titan A being pursued by the Shrike, commanded by Valdic, who's played by Amanda Plummer, the main antagonist for season three. 
Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I saw this poster, the first thing that came to mind, I think because of the composition of it, was this poster, which was for the... Um, so what I'm showing now, in addition, is when Star Trek, the original series, premiered on NBC, they had a promotional uh, piece, which I think was also a, a cover for one of the, the Trek books at one point. But it is... Um, Kirk and Spock, and then I think in the background is also Kirk again. Um, yeah. Let's can't have more than one Kirk. Um, I'm so awesome. Thought, I get multiple pictures in the same cover. But it's uh, it's against uh, a planet in this case, which is circular, just like the circle that's in the one for Picard. And the Enterprise is whooshing by, just like you have the Titan A mm-hmm. whooshing upwards in the one for Picard. So it just it just struck me as looking very, I don't know if it was an intentional callback or not. I'm guessing it was because they seem to be doing a lot of intentional callbacks these days. So I, They I never called me that. back. Well, they, you know, they're very particular about who they will call back. Oh, okay. I, when I saw this in, in the thumbnail before you expanded it, even when you first expanded it, uh, the, the Picard poster, I was picking up like a wrath of Khan vibe. Just something in the coloring and the artwork and the lighting in that kind of gave me that, that feel it felt, you know, darker or more menacing. I mean, Picard's usually got a pretty serious look on his face in most posters. He does indeed. He does indeed. What's he so serious about these days? He's contemplating. Oh, I see. The next step, always. I don't know if they, I don't know if I really catch the a connection between the two, but other than the spherical planet behind, there's him, faces. Kinda... There's a ship swishing. <laughs> there's a planet. Yeah, circle. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a, okay. All right. Anyway, drink up. I am looking forward to seeing uh, Picard, which is only a few weeks away now. Listener Diane says, "I think the Picard one looks like a Franklin mint plate." <laughs> <laughs> you can get it with that, your uh, from the collection with your yeah, with your your, Voyager, Paris? your Bo- yeah, Boimler yeah, signed not, Tom Paris. Tom plate. Paris. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so. All right, I so IDW Publishing has announced, speaking of we're talking about just print stuff, has announced that other Star Trek comic for March, Star Trek Defiant. All right, the Defiant finally gets its day. Take that. No, That's it's right. just and a bunch they, of people that don't want to go to work. Grr. Yeah, and they've already, yeah, and they've already built it as an, uh, as an edgier title than their unusual, than their usual crew. Um so the series finds Worf stealing the U.S. stealing it, the USS Defiant, after he's had a falling out with Captain Benjamin Sisko during his mission aboard the USS Theseus. Stealing it, it was his apartment. I was going to say, living it, on board. <laughs> he had a cot in that thing for a while. I don't know. Uh, Worf then he moved out of his Defiance basement. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> right. I uh, Worf then handpicks a crew for the mission. Which includes uh, Belana Torres, Spock, Rolaren, and Data's Able Twin Lore. Oh my gosh, I got to see this now. IDW says the crew embarks on a high stakes galactic manhunt with the little regard for the prime directive. Now, wait a minute. Isn't Lore supposed to be dis- disassembled at this point? Yeah, so what's up with that? We and when did every, anyone give any regard to the prime directive? <laughs> 
they just put him together, had a mission, and took him apart. Well, remember we see Lore in the trailer for season three of Picard. Yep. So that's true. Yeah, that's some, true. Something's up here with Lore, and we're going to find out what it is. Let's hear the Lore on that. Before yes. too long. <laughs> mm. <laughs> now that hunt aside. <laughs> Swept that one right under way, the rug. Way, way aside, yeah. <laughs> as far away as possible. Uh, in Vulcan, Alberta, Canada news, we were planning to get in touch with the folks that be, or trying again to get in touch with the folks that be in Vulcan, Alberta, Canada. Uh, we had tentatively scheduled an interview with them a couple of years ago, I think, in the before times, and then things happened, and so that didn't. That's when we well, thought you could get COVID over the Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. We're going to hold off a bit longer because I think they'll be too full of themselves that we contact them after this minor celebrity, Conan O'Brien, uh, <laughs> was also making references to Vulcan, Alberta, Canada. And this story also comes to us for, uh, courtesy of Crazy Joe, who we were just talking about a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, so Conan has a um, a podcast called. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. Yes. And there was a segment where he was speaking with someone and they happened to mention they were from Vulcan, Alberta, Canada. And it's just like, what? And so, you know, Conan's thinking at first, oh, you know, okay. So like the, 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 the God Vulcan. And, and he goes, I, the first thing that would not come to mind is me asking, oh, so is it got to do with that uh, Star Trek thing? Yeah. And then, you know, ribbing ensues at that point. But this, this story got, a lot of coverage. So I have a feeling right now that Vulcan Alberta candidate is getting attention. And so we should wait till that dies down and then we can like swoop in, you know, say, okay, you, everyone else has forgotten about you, but we haven't forgotten about you. So we'll talk to you now. We're going to help yeah, amplify Conan's message. That's right. That's right. <laughs> amplify it. That's right. But uh, I have two other stories in there about Vulcan Alberta Canada. And one of them is, out of no place, suddenly there's a worth the trek, five things to do in Vulcan, Alberta. Now, I was not finding articles like that before the Conan thing. So I think that they, oh, what have yeah. we got them file about Vulcan? Oh, let's let's put this story up here as well. Now, we were finding about some uh, some guy bought a new crop thing. To... Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and they, they authorized funds for a new snowplow. I, you know, uh, so. Oh, uh, the sewer's backed up and uh, on the third block. Uh... The flagpole is being replaced in the town square. <laughs> well, we did talk about the streetlights being replaced, but they were replaced with yeah. with with enterprises. So yeah, I mean, that was something right. to talk about. They, they yeah, have a, they have a picture. Mitch Conan of, didn't talk about that. No kidding. I, I forget. I didn't hear the entire interview. So. They they have a, <laughs> a picture a picture of the Spock of uh, the bust of Spock, right? And out in front is you know a handprint with the Vulcan salute, but it looks more like. How you turn on the 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 air generator on Total Recall? Oh, because <laughs> you don't normally yeah. see the hand put the... print in in the metal with a you know with the Vulcan salute. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's it's a Vulcan nerve pinch at the same time. That's what that is. Hey, is this next story? It says they have a blockbuster in Alberta, Canada. No, 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 no. no, oh. no, no. Says Alberta, a choice location for blockbusters for more than a century, and it goes through uh, different films that were shot in 
you know, the Alberta area. I'm not sure Vulcan is mentioned specifically uh, because there's a lot of, a lot of, well, no surprise. A lot of things are shot there, especially if you're looking to shoot something that represents the old West. A lot of times you'll go right. to Canada to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, lots of things in there. You, and uh, people can just go to the show notes for episode 130 over at the topic is trek.com and you can read that article. But right. while you're doing that, yes. I was just <laughs> scrolling through the our, the the movies they were talking about mm-hmm. and they haven't broken them down in years, right? So it's like early years, uh, 1950s and 60s. And it says 1970s, The Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. I'm like, that came out in like the 90s. Mm, better check uh, IMDb. Huh? I think you're right, though. The Unforgiven is like Morgan. Is that the most Morgan Freeman in it? Um, the oh, he's, he's at the top of 92. that section, though. Because right, it says... It's got his picture, and then it goes into the header, Unforgiven and the Alberta Film Renaissance of the of the 1990s. Okay. okay. Oh, oh, maybe I'm... Uh, just yeah, they they kind of got okay. it out of order. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 92 was the Unforgiven. All right. Well, you can check out that article, and we have links to 67 additional stories broken up by series, movies, and other categories. We even had to add a category for Star Trek Phase 2 this time around because there what? was an article in there about that. <laughs> exactly, Eric. Exactly. So just go to that same place, the show notes for episode 130, Bookum Spocko, over at the topic <laughs> is Trek. Ooh.com. <laughs> yeah, weren't they? A, well, I thought they were at one point, they had a, I guess it maybe it was on paper, they had a plan to make the enterprise look like discovery ended up looking like, well, that was one of the designs in this, uh, this article we have model. about phase two, they're showing the enterprise Mo- redesign. It, it was a yeah. model that they built, but they never really finished. It's interesting that although they didn't finish it and then they, they went on to the larger model, which looks very similar for star Trek, the motion picture. It does. Yeah. This model did get finished and put into a planet Hollywood. So that's, that's where <laughs> oh, it existed. Okay. So um, right. listen to Diane and I have, have had um, conversations before about how, you know, all the things that are in planet Hollywood are not necessarily things that were actually used on screen. And I think, what? Kind of, I know it's shocking, but no. this one's kind of interesting in that it wasn't, but man, it's got a history, you know, yeah. of its actually, own. If you scroll down on that Twitter thread just a little bit um, from the pictures in one of the Twitter threads, uh, threads, there is a picture of what I was talking about. Uh, it's a, it's more of a concept art piece, right? It's a, it's um, a much larger wedge-looking thing than yeah, Discovery it, actually is, but yeah, it looks kind of like it looks similar to Discovery, yeah, but yeah, and has huh. has normal length the the cells on the sides of it. True. Yeah. Anyway, it's kind of cool. All right, that's so, cool. Hey, I, I love seeing the different iterations they do of all these starships at where, oh, let's do it this way. And what it ends up actually being, <laughs> it's totally different. Well, and they do that with lots, lots of different movies, Star Trek, but all this stuff, stuff you go, oh, there's some concept art, but this is what it actually looked like 
you know, it's like a ball or something. And, I don't know. And a, and a lot of, yeah. And a lot of times you go, well, that looks much more interesting than what they actually chose as the thing that we're going to oh, have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I right. think that's because, well, yeah. Cause it's a sketch on paper and how practical it is to actually be using it. And if you thought about where the action took place on the ship, did that mm. make any sense to have it be that shape? So, yeah, uh, you know, there usually are reasons, but some of those designs are, you or, see things are really cool. I, I tell you what's famous for that is, um, you know, Star Wars and the Ralph McQuarrie art. Mm-hmm. I love, I love, I love, I love that art. But Speaking of like, which, I believe that, I believe that Enterprise you're talking about that the Wedge is a Ralph. Yeah, that's what I oh, thought, yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. it was. I thought it was. You know, I love that art. And you look at what we got in Star Wars, like, well, there's hints, but it's not the same. <laughs> I'd rather see what Ralph McQuarrie had in mind. <laughs> right. I remember C-3PO was a lot slimmer because you didn't you yeah. know, think of the legit. But it, that's one of those cases. You aren't thinking of the logistics of I've got to put a person inside of the suit. Well, you know, just, Doug Jones wasn't around at that time. That's true. Well, he was but he's a much taller suit, suit as well. In that case. He was much younger, I think. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right. All that said, it's time for my favorite part of the show. And that's when I get to say <clears throat> goodbye, Charlie. I want to stay, stay, stay. Oh, wow. As soon as he's off the port bow, we let him have it. <laughs> oh. I'm out. Whoop. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be back. Don't worry. That's our way of saying, and stay out. And now it's time to head out on our main mission with an appropriate sound effect. Hmm. What was I going to do? I had my eye on something. (laughs) How about that one? Unable to comply. Internal scanner relays have been damaged. No, that wasn't it. All right. Well, maybe next time. Yep. (laughs) So much for the book reviews. Hip knew that. There we go. That's so right. what we're going to do this time around, uh, since we're in that between time. Uh, <laughs> we don't want to watch of... any more Enterprise. <laughs> well, it didn't make a lot of sense because we've only got this episode and next episode. And then Picard starts up for season three. And next episode, so... we'll read you some poetry or something as another excuse not to watch Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. Vulcan poetry, or we'll sing some, you know, Klingon opera. Vogon like poetry. I'll take it. No, not the Vogon poetry. No, <laughs> no, don't want to cross that stream. Believe me, we'll never come back from it again. Uh, one of the things that we can talk about, though, next time around, even though we haven't talked about this, we're going to talk about this time yet, um, is one of the things I got for Christmas was the Star Trek Prodigy video game. And so I can do a review on, on that game. Uh, you can't roll around. So I have to actually figure out how to walk and so forth in this game. So is this on on your phone or is this a, no, this is uh this is uh through steam. It's uh we oh, talked okay. about it on the show. Like when it first came out, but that was a couple of yeah. months ago. Um, so you're, you're, you're playing as uh Gwyn or doll at the beginning. And you're trying to find the other members of the crew and you're trying to, you know, uh, save. I think I think you're trying to save the inhabitants of the planet because a, a star is going to go supernova. It's kind of weird because the book from one of the books is coming out from Prodigy this year is called Supernova. The 
finale, I believe, was called Supernova. And this game is called Supernova. So lots and lots of supernovas in... Um, I got an idea. <laughs> Back in 72, my elder brother drove a Chevy Supernova. I don't think there was anything super about that Nova. What? He had a holly carb on it and some it headers, great, yeah. some thrush pipes. Yeah. It was a beauty. The, chick, the chicks loved it. Yeah, chick uh, magnets except the same pole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are going to talk about uh, actually... Uh, this was kind of stemmed from something that uh, Craig did when we were together at Dragon Con. Uh, he gave uh, Chuck and myself a Star Trek book, classic TOS Star Trek books from the 80s. And um, he has one for himself. So here That's is right. mine. And we are going to talk about those three books. And we're going to talk about them uh, in chronological order of when they came out, which really doesn't have a lot of bearing on what happens no, in not the, connected. But, you don't have to read one before the other. It's not, it's Man, not kind of are these babies yellowed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like this a, was not, a ancient this was not papyrus here. <laughs> oh, yours was <laughs> kept in like a mayonnaise jar on Funko Wagnall's porch, I think, or something. That's looking pretty good shape yeah, there. That's not too bad. It's, it's old enough to have a barcode. I mean, new enough to have a barcode. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, baby. All right, so we are going to start off with uh, this one here, which is uh, Craig's. Yes, Crisis on Centaurus. So this was written by, this is first published in 1986. The cover cover art is from Boris uh, Vallejo. Vallejo, thank you. Uh, Written by Brad Ferguson. And Ferguson had, had worked as a writer and editor and producer on CBS Radio News in New York. He is the author of a number of Star Trek novels, several short stories, and a post-Holocaust novel, The World Next Door. He served a three-year term as an Eastern uh, Regional Director of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, starting in 1999. Read us us the back cover, Craig. Give us the story overview. Okay, so the back cover. Massive computer uh, malfunctions are plaguing the Enterprise when Kirk suddenly receives a shocking message from Starfleet Command. Centaurus has been bombed and annihilated. Thousands are dead. Given what, give whatever help you can. Centaurus is a beautiful, peaceful planet, home to many humans, including McCoy's daughter, Joanna. The crew risks beaming down to investigate, but Kirk is thrown into a deadly struggle between Violent enemy terrorists and vengeful Centaurans. Now, Lieutenant Uhura, left alone in command, must jeopardize the crippled Enterprise to save Centaurus, Kirk, and Joanna McCoy. A science fiction book club alter. Okay, I don't need to read that. <laughs> I read that part. ISBN zero number. <laughs> yeah, ISBN. That's right. That's right. So, uh, overall, I don't know how we're going to do this, but I, overall, I enjoyed the book, but it was not without problems. So, okay. anyway, so as we talked about a minute ago, so there were some, uh, gravity and other assorted environmental control issues that were on the fritz and a matter antimatter snafu snafu nearly blew up the enterprise itself. Um, at that point, and the, it was when uh, the Enterprise was at warp, and there were some 
holes showing up. Scotty on the bender or something? Yeah. Well, you know, you know, Scotty. Yeah. No, it's not a bender. That's just a normal game face for him. Yeah, fair enough. So so Kirk immediately says, let's go, let's go to Deep Space. uh, I'm sorry, Starbase 9, not Deep Space 9. But then Starfleet says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You need to go to Centaurus. Uh, there, when somebody somebody had detonated uh, an antiminer bomb and blew up New Athens as a spaceport, and it killed almost a million people. So, of course, the Enterprise is like, "All right, fine. We got all these computer problems and stuff. We're going over." We're there. the only ship in the quadrant, so we got to go. They're only ship in the quadrant, yeah. So they show up and almost immediately get nuked. So uh, Centaurus is shooting up um, uh, weapons at any ship that showed up which Spock ends up having to try and talk logic into the computer. So anyway, readings show that Centaurus is having computer problems as well. As I just mentioned, Spock and McCoy and Chekhov take a shuttle down and dig through the wreckage uh, and launch. uh, They launch all of the nukes to keep other ships from having to run into nukes, which is kind of interesting. They not launch all the nukes into the sun. Oh, okay. Uh, it's gonna yeah. say just off into space, like that can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excuse me for that. So yeah, they they launch them onto the sun so they can uh, basically get rid of them. So Kirk and Sulu meet with the government government officials about nailing down some prime suspects, and it's a group called the League for a Pure Humanity. So they're basically racist. Yeah. You know, oh boy, yeah. The name yeah. says it all. Well. It's funny you mention that because they're they the name is so boring they don't even mention it again in the book. <laughs> <laughs> problem problem number one. Uh, then they go through a bunch of backstory about Kirk and all that. And here's the funny part that I, I started cropping. This is where things started to fall apart a little bit for me. Kirk owns a ton of uh, land on Centaurus. He somehow got it cheap. Didn't know he was a land baron, but that's I interesting. I didn't know he had money to buy. Are, are his horses there or something? Or? I, I don't know. Well, he got it. just said he, he got it on the cheap. I was like, what, what was he? He, what he has no money. How could he? What? <laughs> that's right. So anyway, uh, Dr. McCoy uh, obviously was a, he was the doctor, of course. But he, Shepard, um, it talked about shepherding uh, Kirk through some leg issues he had while trying to save the Farragut. Uh, but the real, now it's personal reveal was that Joanna McCoy, Leonard and uh, Leonard's uh, daughter is a nurse on the planet. And she was stationed in proximity of very close proximity about where the, the bomb had gone off. Um, so every, every once in a while, Kirk would go, huh? Gosh, I hope she's okay. <laughs> it would be a shame if something was to happen to her. But the funny, the reason I mentioned that is that he goes, oh, I hope she's all right. Every once in a while, he'd remember that because it took like, it, it was up until 80 pages uh, in until we finally see her. You'd think she would be a bigger part of the story because she's actually on the cover. You know, <laughs> oh, so that's who, who the, yeah, yeah, that that would, yeah, you would kind of want that, yeah. So, so that's Joanna, yeah. huh? There, yeah, it's supposed to be her right there. Um, 
So anyway, uh, yeah, you don't really see her as much as you think she is. So she's not really a big part of the story, even though she's on the cover. I'm wondering, I don't know when Joanna's first appearance in the books was. I know that uh, Dee talked at one point about the fact that one of the things they had been kicking around for a season four of the original series you know, at, at the time that the series was first airing was that Joanna would appear in season four. Right. But I, As, I don't know, you know, was this her first appearance in the books? I wonder. Well, I don't remember what season, but you might be right. However, I did, I did go reading other information about this book and they did mention that, uh, that she, Joanna was supposed to show up and have some kind of relationship with Kirk. And that would have had a little bit of friction between him and McCoy. A little? McCoy knows what Kirk... What, a little? Damn it, why are you with my daughter? What is it with you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, what is it with you? Anyway, so that never came to pass. So I'm not going to go there. Anyway, uh, so let's talk about Uhura for a minute. Uh, she was uh, She had the con. Kirk was gone. She was the next in command. Cool. After everybody, up, every, after everybody else left which was great and everything she's having to deal with the computer problems, the environmental issues, obviously the ships, you know, crazy there, you know, some nukes were coming up. Uh, all this stuff's going on. Everything <laughs> that she had to deal with. I would hope that she would give, give her some, something hard to deal with and come out on top, but mm -hmm. everything worked out. It's like, everything was just, okay. I took care of it. It was, it wasn't really. So she never even sat in the, the captain's chair. She just stayed at a console because that's yeah, all. She was, no, she was in command, but everything just kind of worked out. It wasn't a really a, a problem they were uh, under the gun to solve. You know what I'm saying? As, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so it was kind of a missed opportunity for her. That's what I was getting at. It says, you know, everything just kind of worked, worked out sm perfectly smoothly. <laughs> that's the problem. Hey, yeah. Anyway. They, they aren't all, you know, crisis situations sometimes no yeah. hey take the con uh, it was an easy day <laughs> i know well i mean it was, but it's a hurra you think they give her something to you know to overcome but uh, uh, lieutenant well, kyle didn't show up at his post he was 10 minutes late <laughs> yeah that was about the extent of it he's mean <laughs> you know that clipboard we got to sign yeah that that's little right. pen ran out of ink what a crisis yeah. <laughs> but at least there's so, no chain on it so that's good. right so spock finds out uh, realizes that while they were in mid warp, that uh, little holes were popping up like little black holes, and that's what was causing a lot of the problems. Interesting. Ooh, that yeah. sounds like so, that episode of Enterprise. Where, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, where um, um, where they were trapped in the shuttle because little black holes were blowing holes in it. Right. Um, one of the things I did think was funny is that you know Scotty and Chekhov they. It was, it was kind of uh, odd, or maybe cringeworthy, maybe the way they they would work out their English. You know, when you're reading their sentences, because they were trying to spill out their accents. Yeah, I've so seen that done before. Yes. <laughs> Nuclear <Yes>. vessels. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "What did he say?" Oh, <laughs> let's read it again. You have to read it out loud, or it makes no yeah. sense whatsoever. That's right. So that was that was weird. Okay, Parnvagar. What? Yeah. Is, I can't even read, Scotty. <laughs> right. 
Now, here's where it gets really weird. Are you ready for this? Uh, should I start the LDS now? Yes, it's go ahead. Product placement. Ooh. There was there was product placement in this book. Oh, what product might that be? Okay, <laughs> so we, I put myself see, back in 1986 frame of mind here. No, so they, we see Coca Cola. We see the Sheridan Hotels. What the heck? Yeah, and a Tellerite goes postal on an ATM because it ate his American Express card. <laughs> Wow, that's heck? just lazy writing. That is was just the editor asleep. That wait, I wait, see wait, those wait. Who get what? Not not quite done yet. Oh my! Kirk and Sulu stay in a Hilton hotel. Craig, we should have saved have this points? one for the end. You should have gone last. <laughs> I can't top that. How the uh, heck did they? Yeah. No explanation whatsoever. That was just there. No explanation hey, as hey. to why. Yeah. Well. Centaurus is supposed to be basically an Earth 2. So I think I get the idea what he was trying to go for. It just seems really misplaced. That you pull yeah. actual brands to be there. <laughs> well, here's the funny uh, part. It's good to know. I'm investing hey. in Hilton properties because it's good to know in 200 years or so they're going to be hey. on another planet. Well, so here's a little investment in Howard Johnson. So there we here's, go. Here's a little Nostradamus moment for you, though. Uh, they mentioned finding some coffee urns that were having been salvaged from a nearby Sears and Roebuck. Darn, I thought we going to go Duncan on me. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, you could shorten that up and it might spell Starbucks. <laughs> That's right. They even, uh, there, was, uh, there was a kind of a humorous little moment where, uh, you know, I mentioned that Kirk had this land. He had a cabin there. And there was a, he resisted the temptation to call that his captain's log. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> what the heck is going on in that book i'm serious we we it's need to swap there. books at the next opportunity craig bring that on the cruise you can read my book i'm getting a hold of that one all right yeah uh, when he mentioned see uh having been they said they mentioned the coffee urns were salvaged from a series of roebuck i was like Wow, so Sears and Roebuck even went under there. <laughs> it can't survive anywhere. Any salvaged scenario. it from a blockbuster video. That's right. I'll bring the book if you want to read it, Bess. Oh, oh yeah. I, I, I thought half the fun of this was swapping them around. I know. I'm, I'm actually crying laughing. When I got to the product placement part, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Ugh. You should have gone last. I, but it was it was kind of fun to read. Well, obviously it was fun to read. It's like where are they going to find next? You know, at Denny's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go to the Waffle House now. Talk with Spock. Talk with just order the <laughs> Spock. Just order the moons over Miami. Come on. Now that's a Star Trek breakfast. Anyway. <laughs> oh, goodness so, gracious! Oh, that's I don't know. Are we rating these? I don't know. Uh, hey, well, I think you should rate. You should you, rate. You, uh, you, you, you're the only one who can rate your book. <laughs> I know. Uh, between one and five. What? Huh. Um, Howard Johnson's? <laughs> <laughs> ATMs? I don't know. <laughs> I'll give it a three. It was a fun read. Uh, three malls. It just wasn't ex <laughs> the exact Star Trek I was expecting, but... No, yeah. I can't imagine how you could expect that. <laughs> well, what's funny is I got through almost a whole book and I went, 
wait, where's that? Where's that uh, group they were talking about? Uh, they just never came back to it. Oh, the group that blew up New Athens. Yep. I was like, where? Where to go? I don't know. So anyway, Whew. all right, that was. That was intense. That, that was wasn't. that was that was longer than I thought you'd go on that book. Good job. All right, so I'm gonna go jump in my my Kia and go get a Dr Pepper. <laughs> okay, from the future. Stop. <laughs> We're gonna get banned from everything. All like, right, so let's move on, shall we, to something much more oh, serious? Yeah. I guess do I don't know. Uh, my book, which is Dreadnought! Exclamation point. I remember there's oh. an exclamation point at the end of that one. Not not attached to uh uh prodigy. No. Although yes. it's interesting because in this book, near the beginning, now this is before Next Generation came out. Matter of fact, this book uh was first published in May 1986, so more than a year before Next Generation, and uh the main protagonist um was this going to be assigned to a galaxy class starship? Huh. Okay. It wasn't obviously the Enterprise because the Enterprise is in here, NCC 1701, no bloody A, B, C, or D. And then they, at one point, they go into the shuttle bay on the Enterprise, and there's some smaller shuttles, and one of them is named Prodigy. So, oh, wow. Uh, Weird indeed. Weird indeed. Anyway, uh, the novel was later subtitled Fortunes of War Book One. And it's okay that I didn't know that because I don't think there's any connection at all between Book One and Book Two. Cover art is once again by Boris Vallejo. And a fun uh, piece of trivia, Vallejo placed the author and her husband on the cover, painting them as the lead characters in the story. So there you go. Those two people next to Kirk. Oh. Are the author and her husband. Her her they outfit. Look like they walk- her outfit looks like it's straight out of the Angel One episode. I was actually thinking Logan's Run, but okay. Yeah, the yeah. hairstyle says, says '80s right up front, you know, on that yep. one. Uh, it's written by Diane Carey. See picture to see what uh, Diane looks like. Uh, hey, Carey's baby. first publication was a romance novel under the pseudonym of Linda Gregory. She has also written children's novels, but is best known for her work in the Star Trek franchise. She has been the lead-off writer for two Star Trek spin-off series, Star Trek The Next Generation and Enterprise. Mm-hmm. All so right. she wrote the first novels for them. But we're talking about Dreadnought. And so to follow up, uh, I will read the back cover of this one. Let me uh, bring that down first. Does it have anything to do with ATMs and Sears and Rolls? No, sadly no. <laughs> Star Empire. Now, this is very confusing. Star Empire is the name of a the Romulan starship. Oh, yeah, I was going to say no, it's the name of a Federation starship, a prototype Federation starship. Why would they name it after the Romulan Empire? I I I just read them. I don't write them. Uh, Star <laughs> Empire is the Federation's most powerful new weapon, a dreadnought. No exclamation point there. First in a uh, class of super starships capable of outgunning a dozen Klingon cruisers or subduing a galaxy foreshadowing there on the eve of her maiden voyage star empire is stolen by terrorists of course who who demand a rendezvous with the enterprise and with lieutenant piper 
stationed aboard Kirk's ship on her first training cruise. Now Piper must discover why her friends from Starfleet are among the terrorists and why they insist the ship was stolen not to attack the Federation, but to save it. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, so a couple of things in there. Uh, so Lieutenant Piper is from, let's see, she's from Proxima Beta. She, uh, it's an Earth colony that uh, was settled on Proxima Beta several generations ago, but she's back at Starfleet Academy. And the book opens with her on the bridge of the starship and everything exploding around her because they're being attacked uh, by, I think in this case, it's the Romulans, not the, the Klingons. And she seeing her crew dying all around her. And she figures out a way to try to use the ship's computer to keep pulling power to fire weapons at the enemy. And her command to pull power keeps drawing more and more power from other places. And the lights flicker on the bridge for a second. She doesn't think anything about it because she's too intent on stuff. And suddenly there's an explosion on the bridge. And then the lights come up because guess what this was? A simulation. And what simulation might that be? The Kobayashi Maru. Exactly. And uh, she the, had the DoorDash simulation. Yes. So <laughs> she had been pulling power not only from the computers in the simulation, but the computer was pulling power from apparently all over Starfleet Academy, causing blackouts. Um, so she became the person closest to winning the no win scenario without cheating, because as oh. we know, somebody else cheated to do that. Really? Next, we find out that she is supposed to be going off on her first training mission as a um, as a uh, she's in training to be um, an officer. She's scheduled to go on the Galaxy class ship, the Magellan, but she's transferred suddenly to the Enterprise at the request of Captain Kirk. And we find out that the reason she's transferred is because this ship, the Star Empire which was a secret project to create this just a weapon in space, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, has been stolen. And the people who stole it sent a coded message. And the only way to decode the message is with Piper's DNA. And so the question, of course, is why would the terrorists have heard DNA that why would what's what's the connection here? And we find out that the connection is that her roommate back at Starfleet Academy is on the uh, Star Empire. The, so the terrorists that stole the ship, she knows one of them. So in addition to the fact that it seems suspicious that they have to use her DNA to decode this thing, suddenly now. She knows someone on board that ship and she's thrown into the brig and she figures a way out of the brig. What she does is she disconnects the wiring that sets off the audible alarm. And then she, well, she's in, she's, um, she's not in the brig. She's in her quarters. I should say she's in her quarters. Um, 
and it's just being guarded by the fact that the doors are are sealed. There's no guard outside. So she rips up stuff. She disables the wiring and then uses her hair dryer, although it's not called a hair dryer, but she uses her hair dryer to she's, she's allowed to have one in the brig. Well, this is, that's the thing. It's her. It's actually her quarters that that. She's oh, in. Okay. Um, so, um, she uses the hair dryer to heat up the wiring, and the door opens because, although the computer has sensed there's a fire, it can't set off the audible alarm. But it says, "Well, I can't let somebody die trapped here in the brig." So it opens up the doors, and she she gets out. Stupid um, logic. On the way, and she, her plan is to go over, take a shuttle, go to go over to the the um, the Star Empire and find out what the heck is going on over there. Um, oh, I should say that before that happens, the Star Empire uh, has shown up, and when the Enterprise gets there, the Star Empire is being attacked by three Klingon ships who have pretty much made mincemeat of it. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, well, I thought this was supposed to be a very big ship. How come? It was so easily defeated, but the Enterprise goes in and it tries to, you know, basically fend off the attack on the Star Empire. But the Enterprise is then also hit and one of the nacelles is damaged. So they're now limping along and it looks like all is lost when a ship comes out from nowhere, seemingly. And it's the actual Star Empire. We find out that the one that was being attacked was essentially a ghost. Um, it was a manipulation of the sensors on the Enterprise and the Klingon ships to make them see what the Star Empire wanted them to see. So it essentially took over their view screens and said, what you see out here is this ship. And if you fire your phasers or photon torpedoes, you won't see them go straight straight through this thing and off someplace you'll see them hit and cause damage and then it comes out and it's it uh, it shoots at the klingon ships and some of them get away but then it dis- then it disappears again um so piper lieutenant piper wants to go over there and find out what's going on and someone who's bunking with her on the enterprise is someone she used to know a vulcan uh, Sarda. Sarda is someone who is disgraced by Piper without her intentionally doing it. He, uh, Sarda is very good at researching on weapons. And she said, oh, hey, he's great at this. And Starfleet was all over it. A Vulcan who can do weapons? You know, we're, 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 oh. all, we're, we're all about that. And of course... We love you! Yeah, yeah. except... You know, that's not really so much in the Vulcan way of things to be making weapons. Yeah, yeah stop so touching he, me. Stop touching so me. <laughs> he starts researching um, for ways to make um, toxic things uh, safe. And instead, he finds out, he accidentally stumbles upon a way to make a, it's something in the atmosphere of planets toxic. So the complete opposite of what he wanted. And then the Vulcans wanted nothing to do with this guy. So he is now trying. His goal was he wanted to reach Kolinar. But 
he basically is having to do all the studying on his own and he's like keeps falling behind and falling behind and he's like now so this lieutenant piper has basically forced him to be ostracized so he has no chance in heck of ever reaching his goal but they try to go over to the star empire in this the shuttle that they they take from the enterprise and they're intercepted by a fleet of starships that has come in to be part of you know this uh this um rest not a rescue mission but the mission to stop the star destroyer because these terrorists have taken it over and the lead ship is run by vice admiral rittenhouse and essentially vice admiral rittenhouse is a bad admiral his plan is he wants to use the dreadnought to take over the Klingon Empire, mm-hmm. the Romulan Empire. He <laughs> wants to build a whole fleet of these because he wants everyone to just be part of the Federation, whether or not they want to be part of the Federation. Just chill out, y'all. And no, the, it's, and, uh, it's our way, or the, it's my way or the highway kind of thing. Exactly. Right. And the terrorists are actually the good guys. They're the people who found out about this plan and they they stole the Star Empire to keep it from Rittenhouse and um, everyone who wants to be because Rittenhouse has like peppered the entirety of Starfleet and the Federation with people that are you know welcoming to his plan. Shall we say? Not the first time we've heard similar stories about you know Starfleet leadership. Exactly. So, you know, this, this, I, I introduced uh, Bonnie to the term uh, bad morale when uh, we were talking about <laughs> <Bad> this book. <laughs> Did bugs uh, crawl out of his throat or into his throat? Uh, no, it might, it, it might as well have because, you know, he even had his own little insignia he had on the ship. It doesn't get described, but it's like, oh, don't, oh, you've never seen vice admirals before. Well, all vice admirals have their own little, you know, yeah. oh, yeah, sure, exactly. Uh huh. Uh, what ends up happening is that uh, Piper gets over to the Star Empire and she's forced to take control of it, even though she didn't want to because she had done a bad job of performance, not only the Kobayashi Maru, but while on the Enterprise, when the Enterprise was trying to rescue the Star Empire, she just, she folded. She had to be pushed aside out of her chair and somebody else had to take her place because she just kind of froze. So... She didn't want to take over uh, as captain of the Star Empire, but she was kind of forced into it. And she, between her and Kirk, they managed to defeat Rittenhouse and the other people who wanted to get the Dreadnought. And she ends up getting a lovely medal for it Aww. in the end. Aww. So it came out all, all happy in the end. <laughs> I was, um, when I was reading the first couple of pages of this book, I was worried that it was going to be a Mary Sue, but a Mary Sue has very strict guidelines that, you know, it's, it's, it's meant for a certain type of thing. And this really wasn't, I mean, this, this character of Lieutenant Piper, she had a lot of doubts about what she could do. She couldn't do everything. Things did not come to her easily. She had a lot of trouble reading people. I mean, this, um, this Vulcan, um, that she Sarda, she knew that she had done something wrong, 
And he said, stay away from me. And I swear every three pages, she was going back and asking him more questions in which he say, please don't talk to me anymore. Just stop. I'm going to go off to meditate. So she, he's gone off to meditate by himself on, on the, in the, 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 the shuttle bay. She finds out that you can make these holograms of different planets so she goes where he's gone off to be in seclusion and sets one of these things off that's a representation of Vulcan. It's like, what about don't bother me? Don't you understand? And it's like pretty I said, universal, dang it. Yeah, I think, you know, give the sarcastic Vulcan salute at that point. Yeah. Um, so she she had issues and she had had real self doubts about what she couldn't couldn't do in this which uh which I thought was good but the interesting thing about this is one of the reviews I read that they they dinged it because it was her story it wasn't like Kirk wasn't telling the story it you know so this is all from lieutenant piper's point of view mm-hmm. yeah and to me i found that refreshing that you don't always want it to be, you know, Kirk telling the story or Spock or even McCoy that you want to have something that's out of the, out of the mold. Uh, You know, something that lets a character reflect back on all of those people. And and, um, you, they, they're, the crew is represented properly. I mean, they act the way you would expect the crew of the enterprise to act. So I thought that was good. But I also thought it was good to see it from the outside looking in at the same time. And I don't recall one American Express card being pulled out. I don't remember. Or a Tellerite getting upset about it. Uh, and he bottled water from, uh, you know, Poland Springs or something, you know. Starbucks nothing. coffee? Nope. No Starbucks. No Dunkin'. No Starbucks. No nothing. <laughs> Nike in shoes. And Nikes. <laughs> nope, just those references to you know, and it, I, that's when I was flipping back to say, when did this? When did this thing come out? Because I, I did the math and I said, I don't even think they had a writer's guide for Next Generation at the point which where she's writing Galaxy Class. Hmm. But at the same time, it's like probably not. Yeah. You got Constellation classes. I don't think Galaxy Class is a a stretch to call a class of ship that. Um, but then also Prodigy showed up and I went, man, it's a, it's a Nostradamus book I'm, I'm reading here. All right. So I should rate mine. So Chuck can get to his. So let's see. What am I going to rate this on? I'm going to rate this on uh, one to seven, one to five Kobayashi Marus, I guess. Oh. Everybody's, everybody's got a Kobayashi Maru, including this book. I'm going to rate it a, a three. I think that um, it was interesting from the character study parts of it i felt like i knew right away it was a kobayashi maru at the beginning right and i felt like the way the the vice admiral shows up at a suspicious point in with the action i'm going something's not right with this guy you know so it's just it's so it's those parts seem to be predictable but i i thought some of the characterizations were were good in it all right, but we're on to our last book now. Yeah. And that one, let me get that one up here as well. There we go. It's called The Itic Im- Epidemic, which stands, it's all about Linux distros, infinite distributions, infinite computers. 
did exactly. not know that. Yeah, it is. Actually, I thought it was the idiotic epidemic. <laughs> no, and, and Craig, thanks for giving me a book about a disease that keeps mutating after we've been through a disease that keeps mutating. So, I know, yeah. it's so science sci-fi, I've never seen it's a thing. Very, it's very, like, we're from today's headlines. It's another Nostradamus <laughs> book. Uh, I did read yeah. it several months ago, so I'll f- forgive me if I missed some details, but the, uh, the, the back... I'll go through the first part. It was first published in February 1988. The cover art is by an unidentified artist. Uh, I just like the fa- fact that uh, Spock's mouth is agape. Like, what? <laughs> huh? <laughs> I can't believe McCoy said that. <laughs> uh, written by Jean Laura, or maybe it's Jean Laura. I'm not sure which one. Uh, Laura has produced several Star Trek novels, frequently with her writing and business partner, Jacqueline Lichtenberg. Her most recent work with Lichtenberg takes place in the Simgen universe. Lichtenbergiverse. Yeah. Mm. Uh, her seven-book <laughs> fantasy series, The Savage Empire, is mostly a solo work. From the back cover, IDIC, Infinite Diversity and Infinite Combination. More than just a simple credo, for those on planet Vulcan, it's the cornerstone of their philosophy. Now, on the Vulcan science colony of Nysus, the credo of tolerance is being put to its sternest test. For here, on a planet where Vulcan, human, Klingon, and countless other races live and work side by side, a deadly plague has sprung up. A plague whose origins are somehow rooted in the concept of Idic itself. A plague that threatens to tear down that centuries-old maxim and replace it with an even older concept, Interstellar War. Ooh, it even comes with its own echo. That's <laughs> aggressive. Hey, don't blow the budget on that reverb, man. <clears throat> so it, it's it sounds like a, a bigger version of Paradise City you got going on there. Yes, For, right. I, yeah, I love the fact that when you when you open it up in inside, yeah, that was my first thought is like, oh boy, here we go. We're digging <laughs> yeah. holes in, in sand again. Break yourself, kids. Yes, <laughs> the inside cover starts out. Kroika! <laughs> what? Kirk shouted. Kirk shouted Kroika. Kirk shouted it? Kirk shouted I'm really, it. Confused already. Even to the yeah, it's a right. it's a it sounds, grabs you right from the inside cover. Sounds like something a uh, quote from Steve Irwin. No, that's <laughs> what that's what Tapau said to, like, it, yes, yes. Even to the followers of Tevet, the word used in ceremonies dating back to the Vulcan time of the beginning meant stop. You're not on Vulcan now, Kirk said, striding between the two fighters. They rested their weapons on their weighted ends on the floor. You're on my ship. And here, my word is law. There will be no combat with deadly weapons aboard ship. You are welcome to use our facilities for unarmed combat to practice marksmanship in the how dare you profane Vulcan custom, Satat, war chief of those assembled, said. He turned to the two fighters. Continue the combat. The two fighters hefted their weapons again and began moving. Kirk stood still, squarely between them in the center of the mat. If he didn't get out of their way, he was going. They were going right through him. He okay. was on the mat. He should show him how to do a roll, like uh, that's right. You know, Kirk does with Charlie. Oh, look! That's right. Look for other Star Trek fiction books from Pod Pocket Books. I think yours yeah. are in here. Uh, mine's number thirty-eight, bottom of the list. <laughs> well, uh, mine was 28 i think let me see yeah. i've got a crisis right on centaurus me, yep yep uh, yeah yeah there look at look behind clinton there chuck you can you'll find it it's right in there oh yeah 
someplace. Number 19, the tears of the singers. Anyway, on to my storyline. <laughs> uh, so on, as they mentioned on the planet ISIS, we've got this science Institute. There's people working together. The most surprising one is a Klingon. And I, again, I forgot a lot of the details and I didn't make a whole lot of notes. So this will probably go really quickly. They were surprised that a Klingon scientist, like what did he flunk some rope climbing test or something? Uh, and he's there with his son and his disease breaks out. Meanwhile, on board the, the Enterprise, they're like, oh, we've got to help. Apparently, they only ship in the quadrant again. It goes without saying. <laughs> and they, they get there. And who do we find on the planet? Worf. No. Dr. Oh. Mbenga. Say, oh. Dr. Mbenga. All right. Wow. He's like is, the, the. Is he just waiting to slap Spock around a little bit or something? Well, he and McCoy, yeah. you know, they go way back. So. Yes, it's it's a good time with them, uh, but he's trying to identify what's going on. It turns out that people are getting sick, but they didn't know that when they went down to the planet. So I, I believe it was Sarek and Amanda who are aboard because they're they're part of this Vulcan delegation that they're taking around. Some of whom don't get along. Uh, some of whom are are you know following Sarek's footsteps of crossing, uh, you know racial lines with Vulcans and humans and uh and there's quite a bit of this going on on the planet too. Ooh, and, wait, 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 wait. What kind of planet is this? <laughs> Welcome to Ryza. <laughs> <laughs> uh and as stated this uh this disease keeps mutating. Like first we had strain A and if anybody got strain A, if they didn't die, then they were pretty good against strain B. It was the symptoms were a lot less, but you could still get it and then it went on to C and D and and as the people came back on board, they realized, "Uh-oh, we may have brought it back on board." And Amanda falls sick. So, Ooh, yeah. That was serious. Uh and they they figure out that anybody who has mixed blood <clears throat> Spock as a is a carrier. So it's like, oh, you know, that, that puts that's where the the whole itic thing comes into like, ooh, you know, we shouldn't be mixing bloodlines. So they, they meanwhile on the planet, uh, there's this hydrological dam, you know, just up the valley from Central City or whatever they called it on the planet Nisus. Yeah, Paradise City. The, the, the Paradise re- research City. Yeah. facility city. I, 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 again, light on the light on the notes, and uh, they've they, they get a warning that the dam is about to burst, so they have to go up and release the sluice gate or whatever manually because the controls aren't working. Uh, but there's a terrible snowstorm, so. For some reason, I don't know why the, the the Klingon and his son go up there. I think he was like one of the former engineers who built the thing or something. Uh, and and they get caught in a snowstorm. They're it's not a shuttle. It was more like a, I envisioned more like a a a, a sea do or something like that. You know that they're that they're they're there's only you can you don't have to ride them in the water. You can ride them through air and space. They crash. Dad is injured. The son is saying, "I'll save you, Dad." He says, "No, go home. Go go get help." The dam is about to burst. Well, the dam does burst, and you know Paradise City downstream is in a flood alert. And they're like, "Flood? We haven't had rain in months." No, there's a flash flood coming. Flood comes through. So they're trying to solve this disease. 
meanwhile, there's flooding going through. Uh, you know, it's a they're they're in a bad way. But uh, I'm not going to ruin the ending in case you want to go back and read it. <laughs> Do they survive? Does Amanda die? Does does Spock save the day? Turns out that the answer to uh, they said, well, you know, if Idik is the problem, they went, no, no, no. Idik is the solution to the problem. And those that engineered the virus in case you, or disease, but in case you couldn't have guessed, it was, it, it was engineered and planted. Uh, you know, they were, they were found out. They said, Hey, this can only be the work of, you know, like so-and-so. So that's, uh, I, I thought it was I thought it was a pretty good read, you know, the the way that the the they had to work together. They had been working together, but they they really had to work together in a crisis. Uh the threads that were woven about, you know, throwing you off of of this could be it and that could be it. Meanwhile, the the crisis with the the dam and the flood and uh yeah, I I thought it was uh, I thought it was well done. Um I don't know exactly what to what scale to rate this on, one of two petri dishes or so. Um <laughs> <laughs> So, one, one to 10 petri dishes. We'll go with that. And I I give this a solid 7. I thought there was a decent storyline, didn't have any ATMs or anything goofy in it. Uh and it kept me reading on a pretty solid pace. So, 7 petri dishes for the idiot <clears throat> epidemic. Okay. I couldn't um, help but I couldn't help but think of all the crap that that Klingon scientist had to deal with in high school. That was that was part of it. Is it's like yeah, Hermie wants to be a dentist. You know, one of those situations. Yeah. That that's <laughs> that's the way you felt about some of these people because they were so stereotyped. Like all Klingons are not warriors. You know, you you can't right. you can't run a society on all warriors. So I question for you guys in my book. Um, they actually had a page that had these drawings of the different uh, one and two man uh, fighters that they had on the, did you guys have any like I didn't additional have any material artwork. in your book? No, I didn't have any no, artwork. Not at all. You made me look again, but no, I don't, I didn't see anything. So nope. that was a, something a bit different in dreadnought exclamation point. Uh, no pictures, all words. Yeah. Oh. Stupid books. Fabulous books that keep every Star Trek movie alive for you. Star Trek The Motion Picture, Wrath of Concert. Let's see, they go up to uh, four, <laughs> and then they go to Star Trek Next Generation. Official Star Trek quiz book, The Klingon Dictionary, The Compendium Revised, and Mr. Scott's Guide to Scotch. No, The Enterprise. Yeah, The Enterprise. Yeah, I was going to say, wait a minute it, now. Simon and Schuster. I love this. There's like a mail-in coupon thing in the back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How quaint. Hey, I I, I do want to mention everybody. I, I bought these by going to a local used bookstore. So if you got one near you, go support your local, you know, used bookstore. They always got some good stuff in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and they're, you know, you want to support them because they're, as a matter of fact, we've got, we have a Barnes and Noble here and it's moving to a smaller location. Oh, really? Yeah. It's staying in, staying in business, but shrinking to about half the size i should i should send you a picture of this bookstore it's literally a mom and pop bookstore and every book in there is used and i i even had to uh break a dollar so i could buy a soft i normally don't drink, don't drink a lot of soft drinks like coke but they have one of the old machines with the little door on the side you mm -hmm. open it up and pull the bottle out i was like i gotta do that so i had to buy a drink so it's a cool got, little store got another one with our little trap ha 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 
Yeah. <laughs> 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 Save millionaires in 5,000 years. <laughs> it's a gold yeah, mine. <laughs> another 6,000 bottles and we're set. All right. Well, with that said, uh, we're going to come back. I thought this was an interesting experiment. We should do this again. Do do some more. I promise Maybe. I'll take better notes next time. <laughs> Maybe yeah. we'll, why don't we try to find some um, next generation ones so we can, you know, kind of move through the franchise. Ooh. What kind of product placement do they have? Uh, we'll find out. We will find out. Yeah. Come we'll, to Minos, uh, the planet of freedom. So they will sell you weapons. <laughs> there are very few. Uh, Brand names that get mentioned in Enterprise, you know, that aren't set in current day. Obviously, you, you know, have things like Star Trek Four, but um, when they pick up that truck on Voyager, they identified, I think, as a Ford. I think you're right. Pickup truck. I think they yeah. identified yeah. it as that a, rings a bell. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I was like, it's a '58 Ford, something or other. Yep. So maybe it's a piece of trivia, you know. Ooh. How did it end up out here? That'll end up on the cruise. It's like, what year was the pickup truck? See, that that reminds me of every. I keep thinking, you know, the the one of the Mars rovers is going to see a crushed Coke can <laughs> sitting on the surface. How'd they get here? I don't know. That's ridiculous. It'd be a crushed Pepsi can. It'd but be, anyway, it'll uh, be Data's head. <laughs> yeah, Data's, Data's head. head. This Once thing. again, another one of those, huh? Yeah. All right, well, it's time to come back from our main mission with an appropriate sound effect. And to quickly do our warp speed roundtable. <laughs> that effect, which I don't know what that was. So this time around, we're saying, <laughs> thanks, Joe. Given, given the news that Nicolas Cage is a Star Trek fan, if you could swap him into any role, what character would you like to see Cage play? So you get to choose. Now, it can be a main character. It can be a guest. doesn't really matter. Uh, I will go first for the example. So I am going to say that I would like to see him, and this is no disrespect to the actor who actually played the part. You understand? It's just like, if you got to swap him into something, I'd like to see him as Dr. Flox. Interesting. Because I don't think he'd need the makeup to make that smile. <laughs> and, you know, he's a very off-center character. And I think that, you know, old Nikki would kind of even take that more off-center. I, I yeah. would. I was going for an off-center character as well. I was going for Reg Barkley. Ooh. You know, just that, that awkward. Well. But yet he could slip into the calm and suave when he's in the... In the holodeck, but when he's around people, he, I, I think I think Cage could pull that off. I don't know what I'm doing here on the Enterprise. Yeah. Oh no! Well, I, I've got one. Galdicott. Galdo. Yeah, I was actually thinking about Galdicott. I wasn't sure. Ooh. Or maybe. Or, or Demar. He'd make a fine Cardassian, wouldn't he? Yeah, I don't know if he'd pull it off as good as. Uh, Garrick, uh, uh, but yeah, Galticott, he, he would not think. make a good Grand Negus. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no. My other guess was, uh, my other thought was, uh, Baylock. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, would would he be Baylock to substitute for the puppet or right. for Clint Howard? 
Clint Howard. Clint okay. Howard. Because <laughs> it would work for either one when you think it about work it. For like... Yeah, it could. Yeah. Well, let's right. look at some of the more modern. You know, we've we've been focusing on you know, TOS or TNG or DS9. What about some of the more modern? Could he fit into any role in Discovery or Saru. Picard? <laughs> Saru. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about modern era stuff, um, and I had to kind of discount the animated stuff because I feel like, well, then he's just a voice, and I don't think you're getting enough out of it. So it would have to be strange. Uh, I disagree. I disagree. Okay. I think he could do right. some voicing, and you could totally so make him him make him rock talk. I think that would be a challenge. <laughs> yeah, that would be a challenge. He could probably pull off Jenkum Pod. Nicholas Cage as Admiral Jericho. Yes. <laughs> Jellico. Jellico. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, so, I don't know, Strange New Worlds? Um, maybe. Uh, and Kyle is always the answer to go to around here, but I don't think that's. He could play Mud. There you go. And the. the the version of Mud with Rain Wilson. He can replace Rain Wilson. What about him as Kirk? The alternate universe Kirk. You know, the alternate with the with the beard. The alternate future Kirk that we saw in the the, the last episode of season one. Oh, oh. This is what happens when you don't serve as captain on the Enterprise when you're supposed to. You turn into Nicolas Cage. So yeah. you better get him into that chair. <laughs> I'm just saying. Let this be a lesson to you, kids. Well, your temporal yeah. Or yes. or something from you know the Abrams verse. Could he could he fill in one of those roles? Okay. Well, it'd be great listen, to see him. Listen, as, Diane uh, says. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. With what 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 does listener Diane say? Okay. She says, "Lurry." Think of the, frustration, of the frustration with Kirk dialed to eleven. <laughs> I was thinking that he could be. Um, he would be it could be a good Nero because Nero kind of just goes a little off. That you know, might work. That might work. I like Eric Bana, but yes, I think uh, Cage would have added something to that character. Yeah. Oh, this is nothing really. You know, we're just saying take a given character and put in put right. In How about Shinzon? Wait a minute. Wait I felt like Shinzon would be. It's already a stretch to. To this person that doesn't look like Picard is supposed to be his, you know, his clone. The fact hey, it was rough in it, the minds. The fact <laughs> that they would act nothing alike, I think, would be a little far. I need to get on board the Enterprise. I need to be able to find the back of the the Federation well, articles. You know, as twenty twenty three, he could have played uh, Beverly Crusher for all we know. I was Wesley. No, no, shut up, Wesley. <laughs> All right. Oh, my All right. goodness. All so, right. if you, dear listener, have any ideas about better than ours, yeah, <laughs> you know, so take any, it could be a guest star, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be main character, it can be a guest star on any one of the series, apparently, even on any of the animated series. And say, I think that Nicolas Cage would be interesting in the part of Albert Einstein. Uh, okay. Data. 
Galileo, yes, that would be. He's a genius. Sir, Sir Isaac Newton. <laughs> he could play all the parts at the poker table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's that good. That's He's how just awesome that Nicolas Cage is. <laughs> That's right. Massive right, well, talent. Massive on, talent. On that cagey note, it's time to refill the dilithium chamber and to warp on out of here. You can find me, Clinton, at Comedy Forecast, all one word with the number four, dot com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram and Hive and Post and Mastodon and all over the interwebs. And who speaks for you guys? That guy over there. That guy up there. all right just search for technorama podcast you'll find us whether it's at chuckchat.com or facebook or wherever technorama podcast is our weekly podcast about tech science sci-fi and a whole bunch of geek stuff sometimes you learn something sometimes we're just nerding out over a fun obscure story much like this show or personal stories we do sometimes yeah we did a deep dive project last week that's what, exactly stories, what I was thinking of. Or stories about Nicolas Cage, what, you know, which, whatever works. He's and not out also, of question. And also, thanks to everybody who was watching live. Yes, you can thank catch you. Us. When we do the show live, we uh, try to get that announcement out ahead of time. But usually it's every other Thursday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, Eastern time. And uh, so we'd love to have you in our live audience. Jump in, join the chat. All right. Yeah. Be part of the peanut gallery. But for right now, time to hit the theme, boys. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend about it and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us on Twitter at The Topic is Trek. Visit our Facebook page or visit thetopicistrek.com. Until next time, on behalf of Chuck, Craig, Nicholas Cage, and myself, I'm Clinton, thanking you for listening. And as we always say here on The Topic is Trek, don't, Don't put, on put on the, the red, red shirt. shirt. Maybe you could play a red shirt. <laughs>